You're listening to the podcast of Village Church in Burbank, California. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org. We hope you enjoy today's message. Great. So we're, we're finishing up a series that we've been in since, uh, since September, the beginning of September. We've been in the book of Colossians kind of uh, picking out particular pivotal passages that unite around a, a theme of discipling our minds. We're paying attention to how we think. Um, this is going to be the last sermon of this series. Next weekend begins Advent. Carrie and I on Friday night are going to be flying out of LAX, final destination, Tel Aviv, Israel. We have... Um, 37 people uh, that are going to be coming with us, and so uh, we're going to be meeting all of those folks in Tel Aviv. So what's going to be happening over the next three weekends here at Village? Well, I've got a strange guy who I've just recently met over the last couple years named Wade Michaels, and um, Wade is, uh, I know you guys, none of you know who he is, but he's going to bless you. Wade's going to be preaching the next three weekends. We're going to be gone the next two weekends. And then the weekend after, which is the second weekend of December, we're going to be back, but I'm going to be complete toast from our trip. So, and I don't want to be preparing a sermon while I'm in Israel. So Wade's going to preach the next three weekends. And, uh, and then I'll be back in the saddle after that. But uh, that's going to be the preaching schedule. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a, a, a Wade's, you know, Wade hasn't preached in a while. And so he's charged up and ready to go. And he's got some words on his heart. You know, I, I'll, I'll go be honest with you. I first asked him to preach one week. And then he said, well, you know what? I really got two things that are on my heart. So I said, okay, I'll, you can preach both weeks. And then somehow or another, it turned into three. So I'm drawing the line right there. It's three. Anyway, so, so the title of the sermon, um, you know, one of the themes of Colossians over and over again is is this idea of thankfulness and gratitude and so I wanted to take this particular theme in this sermon and push it to the week of Thanksgiving and um, and so I, I I'm just I'm really excited I, it's a very simple message but something that we need to revisit and absorb and keep in the forefront of our minds so the title of the sermon is uncontainable thankfulness and I want us to begin, we're going to look at it, actually several texts here in Colossians, but I want us to begin Colossians 1, verses 3 and 4. And Paul writes this. This is like right at the beginning. He, he's just given a couple greetings, and, and this is where he starts his letter. He says, in our prayers, remember he's talking, he's writing to a church, a particular church, maybe 40, 50 people in the ancient city of Colossae. This is what you're reading is a letter. And Paul says, in our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Here's what's amazing. One of the things that's amazing about this passage, we know that Paul is writing this in prison. Twice he's going to mention in this letter that he's in chains, as he was numerous times. We don't know the circumstances of this particular imprisonment, but we do know that typically when someone was in a Roman prison, they were beaten and they were whipped. 
In fact, Paul in one of his epistles refers to this occurrence at some point when he was in prison and he experienced being beaten. That was kind of standard fare. Uh, Roman prison guards would often just pass the time by making sport of the prisoners and abusing them in various ways. So we don't know for sure, but it's probable. It's, it's at least possible, but I think likely that Paul is experiencing some level of mistreatment while he is in prison. What we do know for certain is that he's kind of facing an un, unknown future at this point. When you are in a prison in the Greco-Roman world, when or even whether you would be released was largely up to the whim of the local ruler. So he doesn't even know if he's going to get out. He's in prison unjustly, and for all he knows, this might be his final destination. So he's facing an unknown future, and we also know that here towards the end of his life in preaching and ministry, some of his friends and co-workers in ministry have abandoned him. They've deserted him. He refers in one of his epistles, he talks about how Timothy and Luke and the others, they're still with him, but some of those people that he's partnered with have deserted him. And so let's put all of this together. We're talking about a guy who is in prison unjustly. He doesn't know, maybe for the rest of his life, probably being beaten, abandoned by some friends and coworkers in ministry, and yet he's thankful. Right at the beginning of this letter, he talks about thanking God. And he's thanking God for what? He's thanking God for the faith and the love of some people in Colossae who he's never even met. Paul has not even been to Colossae. i got to be honest with you. I don't know that I would be doing this if I were Paul. If I were in prison unjustly, for all I know for the rest of my life, uncertain, probably being beaten, abandoned by my friends and coworkers in ministry, I don't think I would be like, oh wait, there's some Christians I've never met who have faith and love? Oh, I'm so thankful. That's just perplexing to me. But, but I, I, I want to be, be looking at the question of how is Paul able to live in this spirit of gratitude regardless of his circumstances? That's what I want us to be focusing on today. And, and it's not just in this particular passage This idea of thankfulness permeates this entire letter. In fact, scholars have taken note that his letter to the Colossians and his letter to the Philippians are the two most joyful letters that Paul wrote. Both of them were written in prison. So so let's just look at kind of a a smattering of some of these verses. If If we just look a little bit further down, verses 11 and 12. He says, May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience. Says the guy in prison right now. May you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He's praying that they would have thankfulness. And he portrays this as this is a central part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And then a few verses later, down in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing. And then in chapter 3, verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Boy, that is a great thing to be ruled by. 
Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Two verses later, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then finally in chapter 4, verse 2, this is the verse we looked at last weekend, devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. You get the gist. This is a man who is just exuding gratefulness in everything that he does. In prison, unjustly, maybe for the rest of his life, being beaten, abandoned by friends, oozing with thankfulness. How is that possible? We live, bless you, we live, bless you again, we live in in a spoiled generation, don't we? We are an entitled, an entitled culture of people. And we're used to having everything now right here at our fingertips on demand. Technology has not helped us with this. And every one of us, to some degree, we're touched by that and we're shaped by it. You can't be an American without having that cultural milieu of entitlement being part of the air that you breathe. It shapes us and it forms us. And to whatever degree it does, it works against a spirit of gratitude. We, we, we walk through our lives sometimes feeling like life owes us something. And when we don't get what we want, when we want it, how we want it, too easily the complaints come. It's too cold in Los Angeles right now. Come on. I saw, did you guys see this? There was a story uh, just a few days ago. A music artist was at the Greek theater doing a concert. I'm not going to say their name. But 30 minutes into their set, they walk off the stage because it's too cold. It was in the 50s. It's too cold. No, no, no. It's too hot in Los Angeles. Uh, My spouse doesn't appreciate me enough. My husband's putting on weight. My neighbor stinks. My dog barks too much. Gas prices are too high. Government does too much. Government does too little. And on and on it goes. There's a trillion. If you want to look for it, you'll find a trillion glitches in the system. And when that is all kind of gathered at the forefront of our minds, too organically, too naturally, too instinctively, the complaints come flowing. But then there are things, let's just be honest, there are things that we encounter sometimes in life that go way beyond just an ordinary glitch where the whole system just breaks down. I'm talking about painful stuff that we all from time to time go through. Marriage ending stuff. Health, health defeating stuff. You know, you, you receive or a friend of yours receives a devastating medical diagnosis or there's a terrorizing natural disaster that takes place. Nightmares where the question no longer is just simply, how do I keep from complaining? The question really becomes, how can I possibly be thankful in the midst of something like this? Things like being thrown into prison unjustly for the rest of your life and being beaten and abandoned by friends and co-workers. That's not, for Paul, that's not just a glitch. That's a bona fide evil. And yet, Paul, in the midst of that situation, is abounding with thankfulness. And he's characterizing this. This is the norm. This is to be the norm 
for the Christian life. This is part of what it means to belong to the eternal kingdom of Christ. So how is that possible? That's what we're going to focus on. And these texts that we looked at a moment ago, I think give us some pretty clear cues on, on how we're empowered to be that way. And so I want to give you three things today, very simple and very short, very three things that I want to give you straight out of these texts. Number one, you might write these down. Number one is live in Christ. Live in Christ. Again, chapter 2, latter part of verse 6 is where we'll pick it up. Um, Paul writes, continue to live your lives in Him. He, Christ is your address now. Continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. We, we talked about this idea. In fact, I had a whole sermon title in this Colossian series called Rooted. Rooted and built up. When, when you've got something rooted, when a plant, a flower, a tree is rooted in something, first of all, it's not moving around. It stays put. It's planted and it's drawing all of its nutrients from that soil. And so to be rooted in Christ means we're, we remain in Him, we're planted in Him from a moment-by-moment, day-by-day basis, and we're getting all of our nutrients from Christ. I'm getting all of my sense of worth, all of my sense of value, all of my sense of identity and security solely from Christ. In the very first sermon of this series, some of you remember I talked about your picture of God. How do we know what God is like? We look at Christ, we look at His Son, the exact representation of God's essence. The image of the invisible God. And when we gaze upon the beauty of Christ on the cross with his arms spread out, praying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is how we know who God is. And this is how we know God's disposition and orientation towards us. When God looks at the brokenness and the pain and the ugliness of the human race, God doesn't stand aloof. God dives into it and, and becomes our sin. He becomes our ugliness. He takes it upon himself so that he might redeem us out of it. And so we see who God is. We also see who we are in God's eyes. That if God's willing to do that for us, that shows us what we're worth in God's eyes. Now, God doesn't love me because I'm valuable. God's love makes me valuable. That's the difference. But when I see, you you can tell how... You can tell how much, how much worth something has for how much money you're willing to pay for it, for what you're willing to give up to, to receive it. And for God, he couldn't have paid a greater price when he dove into our humanity and stretched his arms out on the hardwood of that cross. He gave up everything he had, which tells me that not only myself, but every one of you and every person I ever, ever encounter has unsurpassable worth in the eyes of God. Why? Because he paid an unsurpassable price. So that's the definitive truth of who God is and who we are in God's eyes. So therefore, because I know that, now in prayer, in worship, in meditating in Scripture, in communal worship like today, now I've got something to stand on and draw upon a bottomless well of God's love. And so I can absorb God's love 
through Christ. I can absorb God's mercy through Christ. And that's where my worth, my value comes from. It doesn't come from anybody I'm looking at right now. My worth as a human being does not come from your opinion of me. And it doesn't come from my performance. It doesn't come from anything like that. It comes solely from God. I'm a child of God bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's where my value comes from. And if I know that, not just in my mind, but if I absorb that deeply into my being and live in that experience, now it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. So all of my worth and value comes from Christ, the victory that he won on the cross. He defeated the powers of sin, death, and the grave. So I'm living now in an eternal story. doesn't matter what I'm going through right now. The story is an eternal story, and Christ has already won the eternal victory. I've got, an, I've got a rich inheritance laid up for me and secured for me. So that's where my purpose and my meaning and my value uh, comes from. And when I'm in that position, when the narrative of our lives is centered on Jesus Christ, now we're empowered to live in sustained thankfulness and not be getting bent out of shape because of all of the glitches we encounter. Think about Paul. Paul is in prison unjustly, beaten, forgotten about by friends, facing an uncertain future. You can only be joyful and thankful in that circumstance if your life and your joy is not dependent upon being free and having people treat you well. If my joy and my identity and my value is tied to being free and having people treat me right then as soon as that's taken away from me, of course I'm going to be anything but thankful. But for Paul, whether he was free or whether he was in chains, for him the deepest truth is that I'm in Christ. I'm inside of Christ. That's my location. That's where I am. Paul's saying, I'm living in an eternal story. Therefore, I can face whatever I'm going through right here and now because it's temporary. That's what empowered him. My, my, uh, my father-in-law on Facebook this morning, Carrie's getting tense. My, uh, <laughs> my father-in-law on Facebook, he had posted um, uh, about a story that he had read in a, in a magazine of a woman who had lost, it was, they were on the ride home from one of her child's, um, her, her wedding rehearsal. And on their way home, they were in a car accident and three of her daughters died in the car accident. And people would ask her, how are you coping with this? What's getting you through this? And her response was, we have simply embraced the reality of eternity. Now, of course, it's heartbreaking. It's crushing. doesn't mean she's going to get over it. It's difficult. I, I can't imagine losing three children. I can't imagine losing one child. But when you embrace the reality of, et reality of eternity, that gives you a completely different framework than the world shapes us to have. When our hope is secure in Christ and our identity is in Christ, it creates space in your life where no matter what I'm going through, I can be thankful. I promise you on your worst day, you've got an endless reasons to be thankful because you're living in an eternal story. It's like this. Imagine this iPhone here was my only possession. It's all I had. And, and it's like, it's everything to me. It's, it's the core source of my joy. It's, it's my identity's wrapped up in this thing. 
And I love this iPhone. I worship this iPhone. It's the center of my life. Well, as soon as this thing starts having glitches, it's going to drive me nuts because it's too important. I mean, I, I depend on it too much. It's the center of everything. But imagine that all of a sudden I get news one day that I have some long-lost relative overseas who I've never met who just passed away. I'm their last known relative, and they have bequeathed to me an inheritance of $10 million. First of all, I would, remember, I would remember to tithe right here at Village Church, Burbank. Of course, that should go without saying. But secondly, I bet I'm not going to care so much about the iPhone anymore. Why? Because I've got a $10 million inheritance. I could buy millions of these things. So what, so what if it has glitches? I'll just get another one. Easy come, easy go. It's a matter of perspective. It's a matter of depth perception. And so when we live our life here and now as if it was the iPhone, and we pour all of our focus into our comforts and securities in this life. We invest everything in the here and now. Well, the glitches are going to drive us crazy. And of course, we're not going to be able to live in sustained thankfulness and gratitude. Because it's too important to us. If this life is all there is, then we've got to cling to it. We've got to wring it for every ounce of happiness that it can give us because we only got one shot. We want this thing to go really well. The stakes are way too high. So of course we're going to crash and burn and freak out when the glitches come. But what Paul's trying to tell us in this letter is, listen folks, this life, it's just an iPhone. Let it go. You've got a rich, eternal inheritance in Christ. You don't have to cling to the iPhone. You're, you've got eternal life. You don't have to cling to the here and now. When you're rooted and built up in Christ, you've got the grace of God upon your life, the mercy of God streaming endlessly into your life. You've, got, you've been reconciled to Christ. You've got his spirit living within you, a living water, uh, a wellspring of living water bursting up within you. You've got an eternal inheritance laid up for you in Christ. You don't need to be clinging to the iPhone losing your mind over every single glitch because you know that you've got this huge inheritance. You're living in an eternal story. It completely reframes everything. So that's the first thing. And it's a journey of learning to live in Christ and have our mind formed and shaped by these truths. It's not a momentary thing. It's just a way of life. It's a trajectory you're living. How do, how, how, do we, how do we begin to live in Christ? We, we embrace the practices of prayer, worship, community, meditating on Scripture. The Holy Spirit uses these practices to form and shape us in these truths where we on a day-by-day -day basis learn to not just know it, but live in this experience. Number one, live in Christ. Number two, secondly, acknowledge God's hand in all that is good. Acknowledge God's hand in all that is good. I, I, I'm just struck by that first passage we looked at where Paul says, we always thank who? God for your faith and your love. I see that you have faith. I see that you have love. I'm thanking God for that. Somehow or another, Paul sees God's hand 
in our capacity for faith and love. Now, personally, I don't believe that means the Colossians were made or forced to have faith and love. I think they could have said no and rejected it and suppressed it, just like billions of human beings have done throughout human history. That's why the world is so catastrophically messed up. So they're not robots. God's not forcing them to have faith and love. But listen, that doesn't negate the fact that if it weren't for the goodness of God, they would have no capacity for faith and love. It's the goodness, the kindness of God that inspires us in the direction of faith and love. So Paul sees God's hand in all that is good. And this is a practice, man. I said this last week. God is the goodness behind all that's good, the beauty behind all that's beautiful. And so wherever you see life, wherever you see goodness, wherever you see beauty, just know it finds its ultimate origin in the heart of God. As James says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. You see beauty uh, as you drive out of this place. You look at these beautiful mountains. You look at the beautiful California sunset. You go to the Pacific Ocean and just take in the scents and the smells and the, 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 the largeness, the, the majesty of the ocean. And you say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. You're the author. Acknowledge God's hand and all that is good. Listen, nothing sucks joy and gratitude out of your life quicker than entitlement. And it's something that we're all formed in from the very beginning of our lives. From the cradle, we're formed in a mentality that says, I'm owed something. Give it to me now. Life owes us something. People owe us something. God owes us something. Government owes us something. Whatever it is. But we have this attitude of entitlement so that whenever goodness does show up in our lives, rather than seeing it as a gift, it's more like, well, it's about time. It took long enough. And it's like this demonic stronghold that sucks joy out of your life. To even where we see our own salvation through the lens of entitlement. Like, of course you would save us. Of course you love us. We're awesome. <laughs> and there's no sense of undeserving. And so, Lord, I, I just pray, open our hearts and our eyes and our minds to see your goodness and beauty and acknowledge you for it. Every breath in your lungs is a gift from God. Every beat of your heart is a gift from God. Every Life-giving person, every kind word I receive in a nasty, fallen, chaotic world, that's the goodness and the beauty of God popping through. And it's appropriate to give God acknowledgement for that. There are a lot of glitches as well. I don't want to minimize that. And sometimes they're downright nightmares. But to the degree that there's not, it's the goodness of God. We, we, we need to acknowledge that. And then the last thing, number three, Daniel, uh, just Daniel, if you would come up. The last thing is, Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. Cultivate an attitude of gratitude. I know that sounds like a really cute cliche, but it's absolutely important and essential. I want you to notice three times in those verses we read earlier, three times Paul commands us to be thankful, be intentional, be watchful and thankful. Because it's not something we ordinarily want to do. From the very beginning of our lives, the environment and culture around us shapes us to be addicted to noticing the glitches and complaining and taking things for granted and walking around feeling entitled. And so Paul's saying this is, this is the wrong trajectory that's going to lead you to destruction. Let's change the direction. It starts with a choice. Be 
thankful. Be thankful in everything. Give thanks. That doesn't mean that everything is from God. Evil is not from God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. You have an enemy. He's got a lot of helpers. That's why things get chaotic. But Christ comes to give life. To give abundant life. And so whatever has life, whatever has beauty, whatever is consistent with the goodness of God, we need to see it as a gift and give thanks for that. So I just want to, we're going to practice this right now. I want you to get into a, maybe, I I just want to encourage you, maybe this week, at the end of your day, in the middle of your day, take a minute, five minutes, or maybe do this on a weekly basis, where you just take a deep breath and start noticing, counting the blessings of God, the goodness of God. And every time you notice something, just say it out loud. Hear yourself saying it. Thank you, God, for dot, dot, dot. Thank you for my spouse. Thank you for my neighbors. Thank you for my good friends. Thank you for those that have encouraged me, for this particular person who modeled what faith looks like for me. This person, Lord, who prayed every day for years for me. Uh, I thank you, Lord, for the roof over my head. I thank you for the breath of my lungs. Don't do it in a trite way, but pause and slowly recount the goodness of God and express gratitude. And take about five minutes at a time and do that. Maybe at the end of your week, let, the, let the, your entire week just replay in your mind and just notice where God's hand was present. So let's take 60 seconds. And I want you to do this exercise with me. Take one minute. I'm going to time it on my phone. And I want you to try to think of every good thing in your life that you can in 60 seconds. It's not a race. We're not going to compare how many, how many things you thought of. But I just want you to meaningfully... Think about the goodness of God. Notice every good thing in your life that you can and just say thank you to the Lord. And Holy Spirit, I I pray that you help us and bring these things to our mind right now because every good gift comes from you. So right now, 60 seconds, just see these things in your mind and quietly under your breath, just say thank you. you stand with me almighty God father of all mercies we your unworthy servants give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us 
and all whom you've made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life. But above all, for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise not only with our lips but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days through Jesus Christ our Lord to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. To learn more about Village Church, visit our website at villagechurchburbank.org.